When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This is Need to Know. Real talk about unidentified anomalous phenomena. From Australia, Ross Coulthard. From the US, Bryce Zabel. Hello and welcome back to this latest edition of Need to Know. I'm Ross Coulthard. And I've been gallivanting around Australia for my day job for Channel 7 TV Australia and earning a decent crust, telling stories on the road. And my good friend and colleague, Bryce Zabel. Bryce, I hear you're going on strike in Hollywood. Is that right? It's not a sure thing. Uh, you're talking about the Writers Guild of America or the WGA, of which I've been a member for almost, I think, 30 years now. It was even on the board of directors back in the past. But yeah, uh, we uh, negotiate with the, the producers in town for a new pattern of, uh, of payments. And every time there's a discussion like this, the new technology always comes up. I remember the first Writers Guild thing I was involved in, they were discussing what to do about VHS tapes. So you can see that you know things have gone on. Now, today, we're talking about streaming and artificial intelligence and things like that. So it is a, always a brave new world. And yet, I would still go back to the bottom line, Ross, which is uh, you're never going to get a writer who can write with the same emotion and compelling power as a real life human being. At least I hope so. And I, I think that's where we stand right now. But anyway, yeah, yeah, it doesn't happen until May 1st when the contract runs out and we don't know if there'll be a strike, but it's possible. It's possible. Well, I'm, I'm hoping strike. I'm hoping chat GPT doesn't put us out of a job soon, but I'll tell you, I had a funny incident while I was traveling. I wanted to tell you about because picture this, I'm, I'm in an airport in the middle of um, the Gold Coast in uh, Queensland, which is a bit like Las Vegas. It's a very glitzy, um, tropical part of Australia. And uh, my crew and I, as usual, the plane's late. There's two hour delay. And I go and buy some drinks at the bar. And as you know, I've written books on outlaw motorcycle gangs. And um, I, I have to be careful because there's a boss of an outlaw motorcycle gang who once threatened to, to chainsaw my head off. He was slightly angry with me. And I turn around and literally I've got these drinks like this and I turn around at the bar and I look up and there's this absolutely gigantic guy in my personal space looking straight at me. And I'm thinking, I'm about to get attacked. I'm, I'm listening for the whir of the Husqvarna and the smell of two-stroke. Oh, anyway, this, this guy puts out his meaty hand and he says, you're Ross Coulthard, aren't you? And I went, yeah, 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 I am. And he went, love, need to know, absolutely love, need to know. Keep it up, mate. Keep it up. 
And uh, <laughs> boy, so, that's a happy yeah. ending. That could have gone into a very bad, bad ending. And by the way, Ross, I just have to say this puts you in very elite company because the only other journalist I'm aware of who you know did an early uh, look into outlaw motorcycle gangs and lived to tell of it was Hunter Thompson. So that puts you in good company. I, I love, I love fear and loathing in Las Vegas. I, I, in fact, Hunter's book was one of my early favorites. Now let's do some work, Bryce, because yes, this is an amazing week. We've, we've got an auspicious uh, event happening in four or five days, which is yet another UAP hearing before the Congress. The Armed Services Committee of the Senate, uh, a subcommittee called the Emerging Threats Subcommittee of the Senate Armed Services Committee, on Wednesday the 19th of April at 10.30, will call a witness, Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick, the director of ARO, the All-Domain Anomaly Resolution Office, which is the Pentagon's UAP office. And this is an opportunity for uh, Mr. Kirkpatrick, for the first time, to be questioned in public about what he's found out in his tenure as the boss of Arrow. Yeah. Are you expecting much, Bryce? Because frankly, I'm not. Well, it depends. You, you have to just sort of define your expectations. Uh, the one thing I will say about this uh you know, this hearing that we're having. And by the way, this show, folks, is our sort of our pre-hearing show. And we'll be doing one immediately after the hearing if there's any uh, big news made. Uh, but what the one thing I do take some hope in is that this committee chair is Senator Kirsten Gillibrand of New York. And she, in my view, is a UAP boss. I mean, I, when I see this woman talk about uh, the subject and how she uh, holds people's feet to the fire and the questions she raises, I'm a big fan. And so even if Sean Kirkpatrick has been dispatched there to basically uh, say nothing to see here, which I don't think exactly is what he's going to do, but even if he's not there to make big news, uh, it doesn't mean that the questions won't be interesting. He can refuse to answer them or he can he can say, I can only talk about that in closed session or whatever. But I expect the uh, committee chair to set a tone of we need to get some accountability here. So in that regard, I am looking for some news to be made in, in, in that specificity. And by the way, um, because it always comes up and I feel like I'm doing my duty here. No one ever seems to know how to, what her real name is. It's Kirsten, K-I-R-S-T-N, Gillibrand, G-I-L-L-I-B-R-A-N-D. And if you want to follow her on Twitter, because she is the chair of this coming up, it's at S-E-N for Senator, at Sen Gillibrand. And um, I think she's worth following. Anyway, so I'm hopeful that she'll make a little noise. Well, as you and I both know, she held the blowtorch against a senior official who clearly hadn't been properly briefed when he first appeared before her committee about a year ago. And she has already intimated that she's not going to be frightened of asking questions. There's a great quotation from her doing the rounds at the moment where she was asked about crash retrievals and whether she'd have the cajones to ask about crash, material, crash materials. And she said, we should never be afraid of what we don't know. I know nothing about crash materials. I don't even know if they exist. If there are any, of course, they should be studied. If we don't know what it is, then it is not an appropriate moment to say, well, then let's not look at it. Which bodes <laughs> here, well, here. I mean, could there be anything more basic and sensible than what she just said? 
All right. If you got stuff out there, you don't know what it is and you probably and you represent the people of the country, then you probably ought to look into it to say, oh, gosh, here's something that's a complete mystery to us. Let's not talk about it has been tried uh, for the last 75 years off and on here in the United States anyway. And I think it's time to end that. And I believe that there seems to be a growing consensus among at least people on the intelligence and armed services committees that enough is enough. And it's time to start um, asking the people uh, who, who know more to share their work a little bit more. And, and I know that Ross, you, you yourself have got some sources who have been telling you that um, that's exactly what's going on. Look, I, look, I'm very cautiously optimistic, but I'm not optimistic that we're going to see a breakthrough in this particular hearing because I'm told that Mr. Kirkpatrick in particular is a person who's reluctant to make public admissions about what I frankly know he has been briefed on. I am told that Sean Kirkpatrick has been briefed on crash retrievals and on reverse engineering programs happening inside the U.S., I'm absolutely no doubt about that. I've heard it from multiple sources. So whether Mr. Kirkpatrick chooses to speak publicly about this is going to be his um, his prerogative, of course. And um, I, I suspect what we're going to hear a lot of is, I can't discuss that in this forum. Well, or, I got a uh, question. I, I need to go away. And... I have a question for you about, about what he can and cannot say. Um I just found out, and I think that you can confirm, he's not even going to be under oath when he testifies. That's right. And, yeah. and what and look, the hell was that Moultrie all about? Well, 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 Ron Moultrie and Scott Bray weren't under oath last year. So, But so why? What's it, the rationale for, for not putting people well, under oath? To, I think it's a courtesy thing from the Congress that, that essentially you're indicating to the witness that they that you trust them because it's still a breach of congressional rules. It would still be a contempt of the Congress to lie to the Congress, even if you're not under oath. But the crime of perjury under oath is a completely separate crime from misleading the Congress by giving false information to Congress. But I, I think that with friendly or what are perceived as friendly government witnesses, government bureaucrats, the tradition generally has been not to put them under oath. There was a lot of theatrical putting under oath during the Church Commission investigations into the CIA in the 1970s. But more often than not, unless they're expecting that a witness is going to be truculent and intransigent, they generally give them the benefit of the doubt and don't make them swear. Well, okay. Um, that sounds reasonable, except that if you look at the history of the last 75 years, I think giving anybody testifying from the U.S. government about the status of UAP or UFO reality uh, I don't think they deserve the benefit of the doubt. I think that they, they should absolutely be under oath. And and if um, if we ever get any of these uh, committee chairs um, on our show to talk about it, that would be my first question. And in fact, I'm uh, so I, with you on that. I, 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 I personally, I, 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 I just I just laugh at the whole idea that the US government is going to bring up officials who are going to allow themselves to be questioned and suddenly reveal the, the truth of what we all know is going on in behind the scenes. I just don't think it's going to come that easily. I, I, I think we're just going to have to wait for um, truth tellers, not whistleblowers, sure. but truth tellers to come from within the establishment to reveal more. 
And I know that some of those people have come forward. I know that they've given evidence, particularly to the Senate Armed Services Committee. There have been secret hearings of the SASC and the SSCI and the various respective House committees for both committees where witnesses have given evidence. And I know for a fact claims have been made that there is a crash retrieval program, that the United States is in possession of um, non-human technology. Now, whether these claims are true, of course, is another issue entirely. But we do know that the committees have been given that evidence. The big question now is whether we're going to go through the silly theatrics for the next 30 years as the uh, people like Dr. Kirkpatrick duck and evade and weave and try and avoid answering the question. I, I don't see that happening. And by the way, I think we, we've just we've had enough acronyms around here. We've got Arrow, and we had AIMSOG, and and of course we went from UFO to UAP. Well, we have a new one, which is NHI, which is being used more and more. And uh, for those of you just joining the conversation, that would stand for non-human intelligence. And Ross is quite correct. There are people who as we understand it, have testified behind closed doors uh, to various committees who claim there is non-human intelligence uh, responsible for some of these uh, crash retrievals that have gone on. So there is a lot laying under the surface there, and, it, and it, it's, it's, it's interesting to look at how that's going to lay out. Now, the one thing I would say, I agree with you, Sean Kirkpatrick or anyone else, Moultrie and Bray, when they came out, weren't likely to come out and say, okay, let me tell you what the crown jewels of the U.S. government's secret program about UFOs is. That's not going to happen. But, but what is happening, I believe, is the beginning of a process. And the process is uh, to bring in Sean Kirkpatrick, who is the new leader of a new organization dedicated to studying UAP. And I think he lays down the predicate. He basically defines the field. He allows people to do a little fencing in public and, and talk about it. Well, there will be other witnesses. He's just the first guy out of the box because he gets that honor by running the program. But what happens when we start calling in some of those whistleblowers? Do they only testify behind closed doors? Or do you think we'll see some of those whistleblowers who have said some of those fantastic things um, in, in classified hearings? Do you think we're going to see some of those people saying some of the same things in public hearings? Or is that just too much to hope for? Uh, we're certainly not going to see it in this hearing coming this Wednesday no. on April the 19th. What I do think is there is going to probably be a hearing before one of the House committees, probably the Oversight Committee or maybe the House Armed Services Committee that's still being negotiated. But I would be looking at a date around the 13th of June. That's what I'm told. I'm told it's going to take a few weeks to put this together, but the date that's been put into my head by certain sources is the 13th of June. Um, I just think maybe what we should do, Bryce, before we get yeah. into the nitty gritty of what we think the questions should be that are being sure. asked and to give our audience some of the history of the investigations by Congress into the UAP issue, I just think we should maybe also bring the audience's attention to some of the more important news that's emerged in the last yeah, few absolutely. weeks. Absolutely. And Absolutely. as you know, one of the things we try and do in the news is flag what we think are some of the key issues that are, as I would say in Australia, bobbing up in the custard. And there's a story that's come out that I think has kind of missed a lot of people's attention. And I think it's important. And it sounds crazy. 
It's extraordinary claims made by a guy who calls himself Scott Andrews. I know Andrews is not his real name. He's a former U.S. senior U.S. soldier, decorated intelligence officer who conducted global counterterrorism operations over 36 years in the military. Shortly after coming back from an overseas mission, he began to suffer from rare life-threatening ailments. And rather than succumbing, he, he instead began to experience special inexplicable abilities, we're told, such as remote viewing, and his body began to heal. Now, this is not me making these wacky claims. These are claims that, that are actually backed by people like Lou Elizondo, but also by sources that I've been speaking to inside uh, sections of the US government and intelligence community who tell me that this is a real story. And apparently Andrews is claiming that he came across a file compiled for him by his late father. It contained records from a past he didn't remember, documents indicating he'd been removed from school every week, every school, from school for weeks every year, from the first through to 12th grade. He'd received, believe it or not, an honorable discharge from the US Air Force, presumably as a child, and he'd worked in space intelligence communications as a minor, and yet he has no memory of having served in the U.S. Air Force. I mean, this is wacky what, stuff, Bryce. What's up with that? Now, I, I have to tell you, uh, over the years, as someone who's uh, produced some UFO stuff and, and been writing about it here in Hollywood, I've had various people over the years come to me and, and tell me stories like that and go, man, this is the real deal, and you got to listen to me. And then they tell me something like that, and I'd say, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't think we can give that the ring of truth. And yet, what you just said, which sounds so insane, this is what Lou Elizondo tweeted about it. He said, quote, I'm aware of all the facts regarding this true story, and to call it a bombshell story would be an understatement. Buckle up. I mean, my God. Yep. And I've spoken to other people who know the um, person calling himself Scott Andrews, and they vouch for him, and they say that his story has huge credibility in their view. And it's just interesting to me because if you remember, I don't know whether you're a fan of the Tom DeLong fiction thrillers that Tom DeLong wrote called Secret yeah. Machines. And it's really interesting because in one of those books, he talks, uh, there's a character who's a military pilot who became an astronaut who ends up flying in the thriller the right. um, alien craft from Groom Lake. And it turns out there's, there's hints in the book that he and another friend who's also a pilot were as children recognized as gifted in some way and that they were taken away and called away into some program run by the US Air Force. And yet again, Tom DeLong, God bless him, he seems to be on the tr on the right track. Now, I'm not saying that this alleged Scott Andrews guy's story is true. But interesting, influential people are telling me, including Elizondo, that, that we should take this a lot more seriously than it has been done to date. So I just wanted to draw people's attentions to that story, because uh, it, it really does sound like an episode of Stranger Things. It, you it's know, such a, it does, totally does. Experiment. It's such an interesting story, though, Ross. I just want to make sure we doubly um, underline this. What's the source of the story currently that is it's a book that's been written by this guy uh, who calls himself Scott Andrews. 
Um, okay. Simon and Schuster are the publishers. It's not entirely clear to me whether the book's been written yet or whether the puff that was released by Simon and Schuster, the publisher, is essentially previewing the fact that they've signed up this guy. But I'm told he's one of several people from the intelligence community who are coming forward. And this is where it's all getting very interesting because I do know for a fact, because I've spoken to some of them, there are people who are coming forward from inside the intelligence community, inside the military, who are saying that they have knowledge of and experience of programs related to UAPs. And some of these people have given evidence to congressional committees, Senate committees, House committees. It's getting very, very interesting because we've got this kind of theatrical play. Even in the UAP hearing that's happening next week, there's going to be a, um, a confidential session as well as the public session. Now, frankly, I don't think there's any good reason if there is an NHI, a non-human intelligence, I appreciate that we might need to keep technology, sources, means, methods, things like that, that are genuinely a matter of national security, confidential. We don't want the Russians or the Chinese to have access to technology that a great country like the US can have access to first. I'd rather a, a genuinely democratic country than an authoritarian dictatorship has control and access of this technology. But why can't we know at least a tacit admission by a Sean Kirkpatrick or someone else that, yes, there is indeed a non-human intelligence, if that, of course, is the case? Well, the first thing I'd want to say to Sean Kirkpatrick, if I was uh, Senator Gillibrand, is I'd just say, look, this is a public hearing um, Sean, and what we'd like you to explain to us is what criteria you'll be using as we ask you questions as to whether you will answer them or whether you will refer them to the classified hearing so that our, our audience and, and the, the people can actually evaluate your answers. Because um, if, if all he, I mean, I guess it illustrates the thing that you and I have said many times on this program nobody's going to come out and say, here's a couple of terabytes of UFO videos and UFO photos and classified documents have at it. That's not going to happen. So again, uh, I don't want to look like I'm getting giddy because the government is having hearings because they've talked about and actually done this in the past. Um, I'm simply saying it's part of the scenario that's out there. So anything that Sean Kirkpatrick says uh, that leads us into a further investigation of what the reality of this issue is, I'm in favor of that. And I do think it's kind of interesting with the kind of people that are talking to you and, and frankly to me as well over the years, there seems to be this whole other story that should be confirmed. If there's an NHI, non-human intelligence, interacting with humanity, and has been doing so for years, it would be appropriate to at least admit that now and not continue to say that people who believe that are cuckoo. So that part, I would like to be public. Now, the detail part, uh, you know, we're, we're going to have to work out those details. But again, how is it that we've had those three little clips from the Navy videos over the years, but nothing more? How is it that we never heard about or saw the videos from those balloons, so-called balloons that were shot down in February. What's going on here? What do we have to do to get our own government to share and confirm this reality, if in fact it is a reality? What's going to be that process? And there has been 
Bryce, intimations from people in the know, such as Professor Gary Nolan. Gary Nolan did an interview with um, The Good Trouble Show with Matt Ford this week and asked how he would categorise the extraordinary stories that he says he knows have been shared under whistleblower protection with both RO and the Congress. Dr Nolan replied, crash retrieval and contact. I'll say that again, crash retrieval and contact. That's contact, presumably, with ETs and NHI. This is somebody who I know, I've spoken to Gary about this privately, who I know has spoken to witnesses who've come from inside with knowledge of the program. And Gary has actually said that his perception of what's coming up for this next hearing is actually quite positive. He says lawmakers are much more informed. What has changed is that they literally saw the body language of the DOD officials, the generals sitting in front of them, stonewalling. And they got mad. And Gary's quoted as saying, there's nothing that drives human nature more than being told no, when you know the answer should be yes. The politicians know, they say, he says, that they were lied to and they've had enough of it. And they're basically starting to put the squeeze on. It's pretty clear, he says, the tables have turned. So that's an optimistic turn from Professor Gary Nolan. Well, he's spoken optimistically over the years since he's sort of come out, if you will. So I expect him to continue to talk like that. But it, there's more and more people that are talking that way now. So in fact, uh, it, it's, it seems like we're rapidly getting to the place where this just can't hold because there are a number of people in the Congress now. Uh, Timber Chet, by the way, seems to be angling for the, the Congressman of the Year Award for UAP because uh, this guy is as outspoken as anybody and he's agitating uh, and, and, and outright saying it and he's a, a representative and, of course, Gillibrand, as we discussed. You know, the interesting thing, Ross, there is so much breaking news. There's always... It, we go away for a couple of weeks and we come back and there's always something, you know, to, to be talking about about this. And so just so everybody understands what we're saying, uh, we're recording this uh, half a week or more from when that hearing is going to be happening before the Senate subcommittee. Then, as Ross pointed out, in June, uh, maybe even the 13th, we'll see how accurate your source is on that. June 13th would be another committee hearing, but that would be a House hearing, as I understand it. Is that correct? That uh, yes, it would be. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely a House hearing. Yeah. And, and, and obviously, a lot of people have been energized by this issue. And it is kind of ironic that this thing is gaining its momentum and people are talking about non-human intelligence and crash retrievals and wreckage and reverse engineering. The stuff that used to be fringe, that was the fringe stuff of ufology. And now some pretty non-fringy people are talking about it. And guess what the calendar tells it? We're going to be dealing with that at the same time we're dealing with the 2024 election that's already shaping up to be unprecedented in how it's laying out. So God knows what's going to happen. It's it's These are interesting times we are living in. The other thing I wanted to flag before we get into the nitty gritty of what might or should be being discussed at this hearing next week is Dr. Travis Taylor has made some quite astonishing preview comments about what's coming up on the um, next season, the fourth season of the Skinwalker Ranch series. 
Now, a lot of, I know a lot of people, there's a real tendency, I think, in uh, the UFO, UAP social media commentary just to pour shit on the whole Skinwalker Ranch story right. and to dismiss it as absolute nonsense. And I think people are doing themselves a disservice by being so dismissive. Dr. Taylor is, in fact, quite a reputable scientist, and he has claimed that um, there has been gamma rays detected on Skinwalker Ranch that he believes have come from some kind of matter-antimatter annihilation. He, he claimed in a recent interview that the phenomena at Skinwalker Ranch is using non-human technology to create dangerous spikes in gamma rays. Quote, I think it's some sort of phenomena that's using quantum physics that is running the universe. Now, this is a guy who's working, as we both know, with Jay Stratton at a place called Radiance Technologies uh, in uh, or near Huntsville, Alabama. Uh, two gentlemen who've been part of a company for quite a while now um, that has billions of dollars from taxpayers to investigate what sounds like metamaterials. Interesting perhaps non-human technology. I just there want to flag to people that we shouldn't be quite so dismissive. And um, there is a tendency, I think, um, that the, the, uh, the commentators do themselves a disservice by basically sweeping aside everything that's said about Skinwalker Ranch. I'm being told we should take Skinwalker Ranch a lot more seriously. I, and I, I have to say that I do take it seriously. I don't dismiss Skinwalker and and its uh, anomalous activity for a moment. I think the source of a lot of the pushback on Skinwalker has frankly just been the television series because the series itself, um, while attempting big things, has used a lot of the tropes of, of, a, of a nonfiction television series, the sort of... Um, hyped music and the sort of the teases and all that. And so it's easy to, to put it down. Uh, but underneath it all, there seems to be a reality there of some kind. By the way, I just, uh, I realized I was mentioning Tim Burchett a few minutes ago, just so everyone knows he's a Republican. He's a Congressman. I believe he's from Tennessee. Um, and, uh, he's currently the most uh, outspoken, member of Congress, I would say, on the topic, although several others are, are edging in that same area. Stay with us. We're back in a moment because you need to know. Your brain needs support and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The other bit of news that I think we should also flag is um, Dr. Colm Kelleher, who, as we both know, has worked with the ORSAP, BAS and NIDS programs. Um, he's got quite an extensive knowledge as well of the whole Skinwalker Ranch story. He did an interview with Jeremy Corbell and George Knapp on their weaponized podcast recently. And Jeremy asked him, 
Does our government have downed UFOs from unknown origin that they've been trying and are trying to reverse engineer and exploit those technologies, understand the physics, understand that technology? Do we have that to work with? And Colm Kelleher's answer was quite definitive. He said, I can't talk about that, but the answer is yes. Obviously, Kelleher has gone to the Lou Elizondo school of how to answer a UAP question, uh, because Elizondo does that all the time himself, where he lets you know what, what he thinks, but he's either protecting his, his NDA or, or some other thing, and, and Kelleher seems to be doing that. You know, before we get into asking the questions that we think they should ask at these hearings, could we just do a little bit of history here to sort of set up where we're coming from? Sure. As I look at uh, congressional hearings on UFOs, there have been many attempts over the years, but there's been two particular years that I want to focus on and that uh, we can talk about. Uh, one was 1958 and the other was 1966. And for those of you who have access to it, I love this book here, UFOs and Government, A Historical Inquiry, because it is jam-packed with great stuff. And when I see people like Moultrie and Bray say, no, I've never heard of that. Never, I didn't understand any of that. I feel like, you know what, gentlemen, go to your rooms and read this book and then come back and talk to us. But in any case, in 1958, what was really unusual is that the House Select Committee on Astronautics, Astronautics and Space Exploration uh, was chaired by John McCormick, who went on to become the uh, Speaker of the House. And a very powerful person. And back in 58, they were going to have the subcommittee on atmospheric phenomena uh, chaired by a William Natcher of Kentucky. And they were going to have hearings on UFOs because McCormick really believed in UFOs. He thought they were a real deal and needed to be looked into. And, you know, we've talked about how fast these hearings that we're experiencing right now have sort of hit the uh, calendar. Back then, they informed the Secretary of the Air Force they were going to hold hearings on the subject of UFOs with just two or three days of lead time. Imagine that. And then the subcommittee said it would begin on August 7th, and the Air Force was expected to be there on August 8th. And this is 1958. So I guess their idea was if we catch them by surprise, they won't have time to get a big story together. And in any case, they had various... Uh, uh, attempts to have those meetings. And in fact, they did have one with the Air Force where the Air Force came in and basically told them, well, we're looking into it, nothing to see here so far, et cetera, et cetera. And then, and this part is interesting, McCormick and his gang said that they were going to now bring in more witnesses. They were from outside the government. They were going to have people come in like uh, uh, Donald Kehoe, was, who was retired, but was that major in the uh, the Air Force. Ruppelt, uh, Edward Ruppelt, who wrote uh, the report on unidentified flying objects. And they're going to have these guys come in and testify without the Air Force being present. Well, guess what happened? That potential nightmare for the Air Force never happened. Why? It just went away. No one's exactly sure why it went away. But I love this quote from the book. It says, here was an appropriate congressional committee with powerful personnel impervious to intimidation, initiating a hearings agenda with nearly no notice to the Air Force, informing the Air Force that a whole week of civilian hearings was in the wings. Yet before the last echoes had died in the committee room, that whole idea was obliterated by higher forces and the congressional investigation was neutralized. 
So this stuff's been going on by my calendar quite a long time. I agree. And, and in fact, that frankly, uh, the history, as you pointed out, shows a persistent pattern of the US Air Force basically trying to control the UAP narrative. It goes right back to 1948 when Project Sign was kicked off. And, you know, you had Project Sign, Project Grudge, Project Blue Book. All of them were fundamentally at their heart attempts by the US Air Force and other agencies to try to control the narrative, to constrain what the public was being told about UAPs, to ridicule. I mean, the thing that I find is that um, there was a deliberate policy, a deliberate policy to try and dismiss these reports as mass hysteria, hallucinations, hoax or misinterpretation of known objects. And, and yet, all the while, while they were dismissing them and poo-pooing them in the public arena, there was actually continued military intelligence control over the investigation of all sightings. And, and frankly, they were actively considering the reality of this as perhaps extraterrestrial phenomena. So the thing that really worries me is that we're just going to see a continuation of this kind of historical nobbling that what we're going to see is essentially another shutdown, particularly by the US Air Force. And um, history, as you rightly show, my friend, has not looked good for us because year after year, every time there's been a, a really good effort by the Congress to really get to the truth of this matter, it's been snowed. And the, well, the most recent one, I think, was 1966. Is that right? Gerald right. Ford's effort. The only thing I would say about getting uh, having history be the the template for what might happen now is that it was a different time uh, in 1958 and, and 66, which we'll talk about, you know, it was a, just a different time. You didn't have the internet. You didn't have a, a, a cable universe of 500 channels. You didn't have streaming. You didn't have any of this way that we talk to ourselves right now. Uh, I remember when I first met Stanton Friedman, who became a friend of mine, and I optioned one of his books uh, about Roswell. So I got to know him very well. But when I first met Stanton, and this this will just sum it all up, is he always carried almost a suitcase full of Xerox copies of various things, right? So when he wanted to make a point to me, he literally had to go and get a stack of of papers that he gave me. I mean, it was it was almost a foot tall stack of copied papers. And he said, when you're done with those, I'd like those back because I want to give them to somebody else. Well, today you wouldn't do that, right? You just, you put it up on the internet or you, you tweet it or you otherwise share it. So it's not going to be quite as easy as it was before to put things back in the box. But, you know, uh, the idea that people have been talking about these things uh, in, in open forum has been going on a long time. And the one quote that I, I feel like that you couldn't do a show like this without reading it, even though we've read it before, is two years after that 1958 attempt, um, Admiral Roscoe Hillencotter, who was the first person to run the Central Intelligence Agency in the United States, was then retired. And he actually wrote a letter that was quoted in the New York Times. And this is a quote from the first director of the CIA in 1960 as John Kennedy is running for the presidency, but before he gets elected. And he says, behind the scenes, high-ranking Air Force officials are soberly concerned about UFOs. But through official secrecy and ridicule, many citizens are led to believe that unknown flying objects are nonsense. Hundreds of authentic reports by veteran pilots and other technically trained observers have been ridiculed or explained away as mistakes, delusions, or hoaxes 
The Air Force has assumed the right to decide what the American people should or should not know. And here's his conclusion. It is time for the truth to be brought out in open congressional hearings. Well, Hillencotter was right in 1960. And if he was around today, he'd say we were right to be pursuing it again. So, yeah, we are in that in that time period. Now, you brought up 66. I'll let you run with that because that's a good one, too. No, well, I mean, I, th- I think the thing, the big lesson from 66 is that you had Gerald Ford, um, the, the man who went on to become president, basically pushing very, very hard and saying that he held the firm belief that the American public deserves a better explanation than that thus far given by the U.S. Air Force. And he strongly recommended that there be a committee investigation of the UFO phenomena. And, and back in March 66, Gerald Ford at the time was the House Minority Leader, later to become president. And um, he was concerned because he was getting letters well, from the American public telling him I mean, that I mean, they were very interested in the UFO issue. And he, he, it was, he, he, even more, In a way, Ross, it was even more than letters. He was the congressman of the district where J. Allen Hynek went in 1966 after all these sightings in Michigan. And Hynek famously tried to speculate about what could possibly be the thing these people were seeing. And that's where he uttered the unfortunate two words swamp gas, which uh, <laughs> became infamous in ufology and, and damn near drove Heineck crazy because that wasn't exactly what he meant. And certainly in the years to follow, he knew differently. But Ford took the brunt of this from the people that were in his constituency. And I think he realized that a lot of them were serious people. And uh, he actually wrote a series of letters, three different letters, uh, as he began to agitate for hearings. And again, I guess I'm on a run of reading quotes, but this is from Ford's first letter. Are we to assume that everyone who says that he has seen UFOs is an unreliable witness? I think we owe it to the people to establish credibility regarding UFOs and to produce the greatest possible enlightenment on this subject because I think there may be substance to some of these reports and because I believe the American people are entitled to a more thorough explanation than has been given them by the Air Force to date, I am proposing that either the Science and Astronautics Committee of the Armed Services Committee of the House schedule hearings on the subject of UFOs and invite testimony from both the executive branch of the government and some of the persons who claim to have seen UFOs. So again, here is a guy who not only became president, but it, for people who follow these things, Ford was on the Warren Commission that looked into the JFK assassination. So this guy was deeply involved in classified stuff, and uh, he knew that UFOs were real. So what happened in 1966 was that the House Armed Services Committee, which of course is the House version of the same committee that's holding the hearings this week in the Senate, it did eventually hold brief hearings on UFOs in 1966, but unfortunately it produced yet another US Air Force whitewash. The Secretary, I think, of the US Air Force, Harold Brown, assured the committee that most sightings were easily explained and that there was no evidence that strangers from outer space had been visiting Earth. And he did reassure the committee members, however, that the Air Force would keep an open mind and continue to investigate all UFO reports. So it was a complete snow job. Now, the the historical way to look at this is you did have attempts, uh, even during the early 50s, people were trying to have some kind of hearings, but they they took form in 58, where the 
soon to be Speaker of the House, John McCormick, really went after it. And then for reasons we do not understand, gave it all up. Then we had 66 where Ford, a very important person in United States government, pushed for it, couldn't quite get that done either. In 68, they had some um, people gave uh, written testimony, uh, but that was it. Um, we didn't really have those big UFO hearings. That's why we all got excited uh, in on May 17th of 2022 when uh, the House had a hearing on UFOs. It didn't turn out to be much. Ross and I have sort of taken that apart. We're not big fans of Moultrie and Bray and how they embrace their obligations to be responsive to the American people. But now we have another shot at it. And uh, that's what's happening now. Now, the reason why history matters is because what happened as a result of the US Air Force's outrageous cover-up in 1966 was there was a huge public pushback. Um, This is when James McDonald, the atmospheric physicist from the University of Arizona, came forward. He flatly, publicly claimed that the the CIA was behind the Air Force secrecy policies and the cover-up. And he was pushing for the release of the full Robertson panel report, which was essentially another cover-up earlier. And so bowing to public pressure in August 1966, the Air Force announced what, what became the Condon Inquiry. And, and this is why history matters, because we can't let Congress allow this to happen again. Because what was done last time, what was done over half a century ago in August of 1966, was the Condon Inquiry was called, and we now know that that was a complete snow job, where Edward Condon, a physicist at Colorado and a former director of a major government department, was essentially appointed and pre-briefed that essentially... You know, he he was to to come up with a foregone conclusion, a blatant whitewash on behalf of the U.S. Air Force and the CIA. And the report of the Condon Inquiry in April 1969 was the attempt to put the whole issue back in the bottle. And it has largely defined the policy and the attitudes that permeate our culture right up to the present day, attitudes of ridicule and belittling of the UAP UFO subject. And essentially, it's been a very, very clever disinformation program. So if we see so much as an inkling, if we see so much as an inkling from the Congress that they're going to buck past this and flick it off to the Air Force or the CIA and ask them to come up with an inquiry, we shouldn't allow it to happen. The only thing that is the alternative to these committees holding these hearings is a full, open church committee style investigation where the Congress uses the full powers that it has in public hearing, deposing people under oath and compelling them to give truthful testimony using full powers of subpoena. Um, We can't allow this issue to be put back in a box again for another half a century. Two two thoughts. The Condon, uh, I mean, the, the investigation you're referring to was ultimately very successful. It, it put its report out in sixty in April, I think you said, of 69. And by December of 69, the Air Force had said, well, we looked into it. We even had this uh, investigation done for us. Since there's nothing going on with this, we're going to kill Project Blue Book. And they did. And so from 69 on uh, until, well, whatever, uh, the official investigation into UFOs uh, was not happening. So uh, they, they they did succeed. And now we are at the precipice of seeing this happen again. And I take your point. Uh, the various times where 
the th- the genie has been put back in the bottle is when the Air Force was envisioned as the honest broker to look into this. So that's like, um, I don't know, that's asking like someone who's under indictment to conduct their own investigation. Uh, yeah, obviously, others need to do that. The one thing I was going to say, Ross, that uh, I don't know how it's going to work out. Maybe you've heard different than myself. But what was great about the Senate attempting to look into Watergate back in 1973 when they had those riveting summer-long hearings is it was the Senate Watergate Committee. It was the one-stop shop. It's where they were taking a look at this thing. Same with the church committee that you uh, uh, mentioned. That was where that was going down. I don't know why we're having different committees, right? I wish Congress could figure out how to focus the firepower on a singular entity so that they could start bringing people in and focus on that one thing. Because if we are moving forward incrementally on different committees, I fear that's not the most uh, uh, positive way to do it. Well, he is hoping that 2023 is a case of third time lucky, Bryce, because yeah. as you and I have just pointed out, those who forget their history are condemned to repeat it. Need to Know continues in a moment. So let's yes. now move to what we think the Congress the uh, Armed Services Committee of the Senate's Emerging Threats Committee this week coming should be asking. And I think here's an opportunity for Kirsten Gillibrand, Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, to really make her name. This could be a presidential defining moment for this extremely gutsy and powerful woman. She's the chair of this Emerging Threats Committee, Um, Okay, Sean Kirkpatrick's not going to be under oath, but he does know that he can still be held to account for misleading the Congress. So what if Senator Gillibrand was to lean across the table and basically demand to know definitively? This question is directed not just at Arrow, nor to the very limited field of knowledge held within Arrow, that's the Pentagon's UAP office. It is directed at the entire body of knowledge held within the Pentagon and the intelligence community. And presumably, Dr. Kirkpatrick, you have informed yourself on this before you came before this committee. My question, sir, is, are you aware of any data of any kind which suggests that there is a non-human intelligence that has been and or is being detected on this planet? Okay. Period. Now, if I'm if I'm uh, the witness here, Sean Kirkpatrick, I'm going to say, uh, well, thank you very much, Senator Gillibrand, for that comprehensive and kind question. I take it to heart. I think it's very important that we come on, talk get on about with it, Sean Kirkpatrick. Get on with it. <laughs> and then, and then at the end, Sean says, and. Um, I'll have I'm to. I'm waiting. Uh, come on, come on. Into, I want some answers. <laughs> into the classified hearing is what he's going to say. Listen, you know what's funny, folks, is um, Ross and I have a four pages, three pages with like 38 possible questions these people could ask, and maybe we'll even post that uh, up on our site. But uh, there's no shortage of questions. Although Ross, I got to tell you, the first thing I'd want to do is I'd want to say, uh, Mr. Kirkpatrick. Um, you are not currently sworn, uh, as as is sometimes the case here in these hearings. Do you have any objection to being sworn now? Ooh, and, yeah, and yeah. I would just I would have him 
I'd like to see what he would say. And I'd like to remind you, Dr. Kirkpatrick, that you are under oath and that any attempt to mislead this committee is an act of perjury and it will be punished extremely severely by That's this That's if Congress. he takes the oath. I hope he takes it. Um, you know, the, 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 there are a couple of lines of, um, of asking questions here that these senators are well-versed, although I've, I've rarely heard someone as bold and as gutsy as Gillibrand on this topic. So, um, but, you know, I think uh, some of the things that she should do is take him down the road of this crash wreckage uh, and retrieval and reverse engineering. And whether it's in the purview of the government or whether it's been offshore to private enterprise, et cetera. And even if he's refusing to answer it, I would still ask him these questions because, for example, um, I, I can't remember. I, I, on, on one of these things that Trump was just um, uh, deposed on, I think he took the fifth, like, you know, 400 times or something. I, and please don't send me a bunch of email about that, folks. I'm just citing it because I heard it on the news the other day. But there's a power in asking the question even if the person isn't going to answer it. So what I would say to Sean Kirkpatrick is I'd go through these 38 questions we've got and then all of the others and make him refuse to answer them if that's going to be the case. Because that would at least get people saying, well, if the guy isn't answering it, there must be something to that. And I'd like to see us get into that. So that's my take. Now, I, I don't know a lot about the other committee members on the Emerging Threats Committee, but one of them is actually a former astronaut, a former U.S. Air Force astronaut, yeah. Mark Kelly, the senator for Arizona. And he's clearly very much a hard skeptic on UAPs. He recently dismissed a, a reporter's very serious question on the UFO issue by saying, quote, on the alien subject, I can confirm they are really small, they have sharp teeth, and they live oh. under your bed. That's the kind of bullshit nonsense that oh. we often get from politicians when they're asked hard questions on this issue. And let, let's be very clear about this. If Senator Gillibrand is not seen, and if the other members of the committee are seen to be flippant or dismissive and ignoring the issues that are right. being asked, the serious intent behind these questions, we now have multiple very senior former officials of the US government on the record, suggesting that the US government is in possession of information, suggesting that there is a non-human intelligence engaging with this planet, and that it is in possession of NHI technology, non-human well, intelligence technology. It's time for that question to be asked. And if we just have another one of these delicate dances where mm. sycophantic questions are asked of public officials, frankly, the public should start stoning the blooming Congress. Well, and I'm not saying that literally. I mean, I'm just appalled that we have that extraordinary situation where time and time again, we have these public officials that are allowed to come in and be dismissive and mock and ridicule and stigmatize the issue. You just, you have to hold their feet to the fire. And the public should be and will be deservedly very, very angry if evasive questions are asked, well, evasive answers are, are, are given to incredibly direct questions. Yeah, let's go back to Mark Kelly for a second. He's the senator just reelected in Arizona. And there's a lot to like about Mark Kelly. I mean, he's an astronaut and a, a fairly st straight up stand up guy most of the time. But, you know, Senator Kelly, let me just speak to you for a moment. This is wrong. The way you answer that question is just plain wrong. You're dismissing people 
who have had authentic experiences. You're dismissing radar people. You're dismissing pilots. You're dismissing government officials. You're dismissing police officers and, and thousands, if not tens and hundreds of thousands of, of witnesses. And you're turning it all into a joke. And you know that that's the inappropriate policy. And the reason you know it is you're from uh, Arizona. And the last time somebody did that in Arizona was back after the Phoenix Lights, where Governor Fife Symington, after so many of his constituents saw the Phoenix Lights object with their own eyes, he instead brought an alien costume staffer out in front of the press conference. And he's regretted that the rest of his life and has recanted that in, in future years. So, Senator Kelly, I'm asking you to go into that hearing, behave as an appropriate public official and understand that your own government has already confirmed that there are things out there that we cannot confirm where they come from and try to have a more open and inquisitive mind because that's what we expect from you as a public official. Now, we know that Gillibrand has already been very critical about the fact that Arrow hasn't received sufficient funding. The Pentagon's UAP investigation office had not received sufficient funding or staffing to allow it to do the job that it had been assigned. And I mean, for example, one of the things that it was asked to do by legislation, by the Congress, was a historical review of UAP knowledge since World War II. That was requested by legislation, by statute, by an act of the Congress last year. And so one of the things that I really want to see is a holding to account by Gillibrand. I want to see her and the other senators demanding to know whether this work has been done, and if not, why not? And, and I also think that the Defence Department more broadly needs to be asked why when Congress made its position very, very clear in legislation that it wanted the UAP issue investigated thoroughly by the Pentagon, why was Arrow, this office, left chronically underfunded, understaffed to fulfil its stated purpose? It was designed to die on the vine. And more importantly, Kirkpatrick has been dismissed by some critics as somebody who's a bit of a, a lickspittle for the people who want to continue the cover-up. This is an opportunity for Kirkpatrick to make his name. It would only take one truthful answer to one question to break the truth embargo. Yeah, sure. I pray for it. I pray for it. Um, you know, you mentioned the history report they're supposed to write, and he may say, well, we need more time. And, you know, it's very hard to get access to these things. So again, I'm just going to help him out. UFOs in the government, a historical inquiry. Take a look at that. Or how about this one? Shoot them down. The Flying Saucer Air Wars of 90, 1952 by Frank Faschino. This is all government stuff. And here's another great book by Richard Dolan, UFOs in the National Security State. If you don't know the history of UFOs and the U.S. government and the U.S. military, sir, I say you do a little reading time. So anyway, that's my soapbox for the day, but that's what I think they should be doing. Uh, we should probably get out of here, I guess. Can I just drop a big hint before we start yeah. the wrap for this Please show? Please do. Let's just roll back a bit. Let's go back to February. Let's talk about what happened over Dead Horse, Alaska in oh. February. Yeah. Now, we know that three objects were allegedly shot down. We know that they were engaged with Sidewinder missiles by fighter jets from the U.S. Air Force. Now, what's so interesting is what I'm hearing about Dead Horse. 
And this is, I think, perhaps where questions could be pertinently directed. Because although the particular senator that I'm thinking of is a member of the Senate Armed Services Committee, they're not a member of the Emerging Threats Committee. So let's just flag to the Emerging Threats Committee that we know that there is a senator on the Senate Armed Services Committee who has been approached by a member of the Air Force asking the committee to ask more pointed questions about what happened over Dead Horse, Alaska. And I'm just going to read out a few questions that I think should be asked. Why have no congressional representatives been given the opportunity to cite the purported shoot-down videos shot by fighter jets in February during the multiple incursions over US airspace? And as we understand it, senators and representatives have been refused the opportunity to even view this vision, even in a secure skiff. Why the secrecy? Does the witness, does Dr. Kirkpatrick, have any knowledge about the specific shoot-down incident over or near Dead Horse, Alaska in February? What exactly did the pilot report seeing when he engaged the object with a missile? Was the object seen to actually crash or descend as a result of that missile being fired? Why is vision of that particular incident still being kept classified, as well as the pilot's after-action report, even to confidential hearings of the relevant congressional committees? Is the witness prepared to deny the reports that, that I'm hearing that the object, when hit by the explosion of the jet's sidewinder missile, actually stayed in the air, despite that direct explosion? Something was seen by the pilot to fall from the object that he engaged, but I'm told the main object was not, in fact, shot down by the missile. Does the witness, does Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick, deny categorically that this is the case? <laughs> Frankly, if Dr. Kirkpatrick is to say to the committee that he doesn't know about this incident, that he hasn't briefed himself about this incident, then he should be sacked immediately. The committee yeah. should be asking for his resignation. If he no. doesn't come into the committee hearing properly briefed about the, the three shoot-down incidents over US in February, then he shouldn't be doing the job. I agree 100%, 1,000%. Let's let's hope that happens. And by the way, Ross, I know you're a lawyer by training, and they always tell lawyers, listen, you know, when you're doing cross-examination of a witness, don't ask a question you don't know the answer to. So I'm just going to ask you, do, do you think you know the answer to those questions? Or is this one of those truly uh, mysterious moments where we need the government to come clean and they, they might not? I am told that the dead horse incident is not as it has been represented by both the president and his staff. I'm told it wasn't a shoot down in the full sense of the word. I'll leave it at that. Wow. Well, folks, interesting times ahead. I mean, Ross, this is why I enjoy working with you because, I mean, people, I don't know why, but people are compelled to tell you the truth. And I like that. And, um, and, and obviously, we have hopeful expectations for this this meeting of the minds that's going to happen on the 19th. And let's hope for the best. 
Now, before we go, let's just briefly mention there's a new Whitley Stryber book out called yep. Them, which yep. uh, I think you're interested in maybe getting Whitley on at some stage. Well, I just wanted to give a couple of quick shout outs for some of the things that are out in the cultural UFO zeitgeist right now. One of them is that Whitley Strieber has a new book called Them with a period at the end. Um, and I think it's his most interesting book in, in years. Now, I've read all his books. He's written about seven or eight on this topic, I believe. But this is the one where he's finally getting a, a little more uh, clear about what he actually thinks might be going on. And it seems to me that after flirting around with the uh, more the more paranormal parts of it, he seems to be saying he thinks you got to give a, a a pretty strong possibility to the extraterrestrial angle. So that's interesting. There's also a new documentary that's out by uh, filmmaker Ron James called Accidental Truth. I just got a copy of it today to start uh, running. And uh, from what I've seen so far, if you're one of those people who would like to sort of brush up and make sure you understand how we got here from there, uh, this does have some of the usual suspects in it. That's fine. Uh, but they tell the story about where we are right now in 2023 and and frankly focus more from 2017 on. So in that regard, it's a really good way to look at it. And then my final shout out is, of course, Ross I want everyone to understand our URL is needtoknow.today, not .com, but .today. And with that, I'm done. We'll see you after the forthcoming Emerging Threats Committee hearing coming up in about a week. Hopefully by that time, Senator Kirsten Gillibrand and other members of the committee will have applied a blowtorch in the right places, but I'm not holding my breath. You know, Russ, Sometimes I always end with the, this phrase, and it may seem inappropriate sometimes, but it's appropriate today, which is, we can handle the truth. People get ready. Need to Know is a joint production of Stellar Productions and Powerful Owl Productions. The producer is Rich Johnson. Want more? Find more at needtoknow.today. That's needtoknow.today. Today.